You are listening to Two Drop Tables and a Microphone, an information security podcast with a Canadian perspective and the only tech podcast with a three-drink minimum. We are the place for information security news and how it affects you as either a security professional or a general consumer. The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and our guests are solely their own and do not reflect the views and opinions of their employers, past or present. Welcome to the Two Drop Tables podcast, episode 13. Uh, we have a bit of a different format this week with more topics, and we will attempt to move through them a little bit quicker. Uh, so much is happening right now on the cybersecurity front that it's really impossible to get everything you want to talk about into one show. So more news focus with faster-paced discussion, something that we're going to try out for a few episodes, and we'll see how it goes. Um, if you don't like it, you can send an email to feedback at twodroptables.ca and address it to Dom directly. <laughs> I thought it was no fucks given at <laughs> yeah, twodroptables.com. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anybody drinking tonight? Oh, yeah. What are you drinking? Blonde Ale. Oh, nice. Yeah. I got uh, the Glenlivet Founders Edition. Oh, excellent. So actually, we can just start because uh, I wanted Dom to talk about the next part anyway. So um, we've just come out of a bit of a conference-heavy period the last month or two, so I'd like to have some of the people who have attended a conference do a quick recap on what that was like, what they learned, and if they would go again and you know recommend it to others. So Dom, you attended B-Sides Vancouver back in March. What was that like? That was interesting. I mean, uh, I, I actually did uh, learn quite a bit uh, at that conference. Um, one of the one of the uh, presentations that uh, I, well, I didn't I didn't attend was, but it um, uh, I was talking to another guy earlier uh, later after that presentation was uh, about the focus on uh, keeping uh, security to the left, so to speak. Uh, what they mean by that is. Uh, uh, have sec- incorporate security early in your design or development of software or, uh, or development of a uh, product uh, so that uh, we don't have to worry about it later on. Uh, like that the buzzword, was actually, DevSecOps. Uh, yeah, DevSecOps, exactly. And it, the thing was, it was, uh, uh, it made a lot of sense. It makes total sense. Like, why not have uh, security by design? I remember uh, talking about a few years ago, uh, there was a, uh, a talk uh, by An- uh, Dr. Ann Kavukian. She was a privacy officer at, uh, for the uh, province of Ontario. And uh, it was, um, she, said, she, she said, well, we can just com- incorporate uh, privacy by design instead of worrying about privacy as an afterthought. Well, we should do that same thing with security. So it makes total sense. Um, and the other thing was uh, I attended a, a lot of workshops on, uh, one was on PowerShell. Uh, at the beginning I found, uh, the, actually there was one on PowerShell and the other one was on uh, basically penetration testing a uh, Linux server, uh, which was uh, basically I'm right now working on the, uh, the offensive security uh, pen testing with Kali. And I thought, okay, well, better, I uh, should attend those, see what, uh, what I can learn um, so that I can pass the exam. Uh, the, the thing is, is that um, at the beginning of uh, either of those workshops was, uh, was the fact that uh, it was pretty basic. And uh, I can understand why. There were a lot of beginners there. There were a lot of uh, people who, who uh, didn't know uh, a, a lot about uh, actual like, penetration testing or ethical hacking. And, um, but it, at, the, uh, at the end of it, it's like, okay, now we're starting to see more... Um, more um, like more advanced stuff, uh, like uh, writing a PowerShell script to detect uh, password spraying attacks, where uh, basically you're using one password to attack a, a whole bunch of a uh, bunch of accounts, as opposed to using um, uh, multiple passwords against one account. So, uh, 
Yeah, that was interesting. I, yeah, and um, I think I have the script for that somewhere. Uh, the other thing was uh, uh, the uh, the uh, hacking the Linux, uh, the uh, Volnhub. Actually, that uh, image right now is on, vol on volnhub.com. Uh, yeah. It's a B-Sides uh, 2018. It's actually a lot easy. Uh, the way he taught it was the hard way. There's a much easier way, actually, which is kind of funny. Um, and, uh, but uh, I did learn about uh, uh, Dirty Cow. And actually, if you look at exploitdb.com, uh, Dirty Cow says, I think it's from 2.6 to 3, uh, from Linux uh, versions 2.6 to 3.9. However, this particular Vonhub had, uh, had a Linux kernel version of 3.11. And it still was vulnerable to Dirty Cow which is, by the way, a privileged exploit, and a very good one at that. Uh, basically, Dirty Cow is, uh, is, is quite, a, quite a dangerous exploit. However, if you employ SE Linux or Security Enhanced Linux, uh, then uh, it, it won't work. Like, it uh, actually prevents a lot of privileged escalation attacks. So um, yeah, I, uh, I would say that, uh, 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 yeah, if, you, if you're going through the Volnhub images, I'm just going to strictly say that. If you go through the Volnhub images, uh, try to know, know your exploits. Um, and just because it says that uh, you know you get a range of versions, say 2.6 to 3.9, uh, maybe you might want to go one or two above that, or maybe even one or two below that, uh, because uh, that was actually in the exploit DB site. You, you're looking at two, uh, what they tested it on, as opposed to what what is actually vulnerable. So there is a difference there. Um, the other talk was on uh, threat modeling uh, with Adam Shostak. He is a former Microsoft. Uh, was, he worked for Microsoft, uh, working on threat modeling. He has a quite a quite a uh, quite a deep. Uh, he wrote a uh, quite a deep book on uh, threat modeling, and uh, he was going through, um, like the whole ins and outs of threat modeling, the whole ins and outs of uh, what it takes to. Uh, uh, to analyze a threat. Uh, he even made a joke about, uh, yeah, you shouldn't be uh, trying to threat model an airport, especially with a TSA around. I think that would uh, not end well for you. <laughs> so um, uh, threat modeling, yeah, because I use that a lot in my, in my job, a day job at the Ministry of Transportation, so uh, uh, especially conducting assessments and, and, and uh, on uh, various projects. The, the thing is, is that it's not, it's not, uh, uh, it's not that hard, actually, but it does take time to learn. There is, there is quite a, but once you get it, it becomes, it becomes easier. It's like you know, um, you got to learn, learn to walk before you run. But uh, once you, once you start running uh, figuratively, then you are, uh, you know, you, you basically are pretty good to go. So threat modeling is not actually that hard, but you, you just have to understand the concepts such as stride or spoofing, tampering. Um, repudiation, information disclosure, denial of service, and elevation of privilege. Here's the key. Uh, the elevation of privilege in stride, if you get that, all bets are off, right? Whereas, whereas the, other, or the other preceding letters, um, you just have to, it, it basically you're stuck with that one thing. But if you get elevation of privilege, the other four things come just basically fall into place and you basically own the, own the system or, uh, or uh, you have only information within. So, yeah, that's pretty much uh, sums it up uh, with B-Sides. I'd say this B-Sides is really, really cool because I met some, uh, a lot of, actually I met a lot of cool people there. Uh, went to uh, this party downtown, uh, um, or no, it's in West Van, uh, at this, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the restaurant now, it was quite a while, but, uh, quite a while ago, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, I think it was the RSA, they paid for it. 
Uh, I'm not sure if it's RSA, but somebody basically paid for everybody's food, everybody's drinks, so it was basically free everything. And they had uh, a uh, hacker Jeopardy, and uh, basically my team that uh, was on uh, won it. Um, and uh, yeah, it just had a really good time. And the other thing too was uh, I uh, met with uh, Decentral or it's DCTRL, so we ended up calling it Decontrol. <laughs> so uh, they're they're a bunch of good people, but you know and. A little bit unusual, but uh, you know they're really into the Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies, and uh, so uh, they had a nice space, well, a nice basement down uh, in uh, downtown Vancouver, and uh, yeah, but they were they were great. Uh, we we hung out there quite a bit, had a lot of philosoph philosophical discussions about about Bitcoin, about uh, cybersecurity in general. So uh, yeah, I think I'd uh, once if they put it back on, I think uh, uh, I'd definitely go back. Uh, another thing I'd like to mention is. Um, uh, we might try. We're, we're, I've been talking to some people in Van, uh, Vancouver. Uh, they want to actually start a B-sides Vancouver Island. Uh, I think you've seen that on uh, Slack. Uh, yeah. Uh, that. Uh, so uh, I think we. I, I want to see if we could try working. I'm working with a guy named Code Henry um, uh, to try to get set up a uh, B-sides Vancouver Island, either at here at UVic or at VIU as a start. Probably 100, 200 people uh, for a beginning. We start small. Uh, that's what Alex did uh, with uh, starting B-Sides Vancouver, because what he did was uh, he started small. It was a small club uh, last year. Um, I think about 200, 300 people. And then he added SFU, Harbor, Harbor Center, this year. And I think this was like twice as better, tw like probably 600, 500, 600 people, like twice as many uh, came out. Um, and... Uh, yeah, so basically, it, it, it's growing. It's it's and then we're trying to going to see if we could try to uh, emulate that here on Vancouver Island. That'd be awesome. I'd definitely yeah. be into that. Oh yeah, absolutely. So you would recommend B sides Vancouver then? I think I want to try that out next year. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it, the thing is, is that it wasn't expensive. Like the I got the elite ticket, and that's like the highest ticket you can get. It was one hundred and six dollars. Well, it was a lot more expensive cool. than RSA that I just went to, I'll tell you that much. RSA was not cheap. Um, yeah, well, well, don't, I'm not surprised by that. I had an awesome time, though. Um, oh, yeah, I, I still it. think I'm more of a DEF CON type of guy, but uh, mm. there was lots of talks and sessions that I attended at RSA, and they are pretty awesome, too. Um, there's a lot of tracks to choose from. I, I, it's geared to a totally different audience than DEF CON, right? Um, some of the people it is go more of a both. business audience, yeah. Definitely. It's more business-oriented. This is what you do in your organization, organization, organization. But it's it's set up well. It's all vendor-supported, but there there isn't anyone who's like, you know, even some of the stuff you see in the Privacy and Security Conference in Victoria where it's like the last two slides are, and if you bought IBM, blah, 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 you wouldn't mm. have any of these problems. There isn't even any of that. Like, oh, yeah. They sort of say like, oh, I'm lead security researcher at you know Palo Alto or whatever. When they introduce themselves, and they don't mention anything, the which, is, which time, is good because they right? and you're asked when you do your um, the survey, like where, where they pitch your products, because they don't want people to do that. No, um, I was at Aware BC, and one of the guys, uh, I won't even mention what they sell or where they are, because then we'll know who they are. But um, they just it was a product pitch for an hour, and it was just fucking boring as hell, and I hated it. Um, I'd definitely go to RSA again. I think it was pretty awesome. The ex the vendor expo was pretty cool. Um, if you like shitty swag, I didn't have <laughs> a bazillion t-shirts and shit like that. Um, but it was actually kind of neat to walk around and see like some of the vendors who are actually in some of the spaces that I'm looking at buying tools and spending some money. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, I didn't know they do that. Um, so it's pretty good. Um, 
lots of lunches, lots of dinners and vendors going by and the vendor parties are just insane. Oh yeah, no doubt. Like someone paid for that one lunch thing at B-Sides, but the one of the vendor parties I went to that Four Scout put on was they had Fergie, they had a bunch of DJs, it was open bar, it was <laughs> oh, insane. Oh jeez. But it was like a thousand people and like 900 of them are dudes. <laughs> that's the, that's Why am I not surprised? I'm not looking, but it makes the dynamic really weird when you're in like a nightclub atmosphere, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, does that nine remind you of another conference we went? Girl. Yeah, is that, well, that kind of reminds me of a conference we went to in August, didn't it? Nine is like probably like ten dudes for every one girl or something like that. Yeah, DefCon's all like that too. Yeah, yeah. But people were much less sweaty at RSA than DefCon, yeah, and, and, yeah. and much better dressed. <laughs> That's for sure. No one walking around with like antennas sticking out of their stuff uh, either. I know. But they did t- say basically like, don't use the Wi-Fi unless you're on a VPN. That would be stupid. Um, <laughs> I heard their mobile app ran into a lot of problems too down there. That it got hacked or was pretty not very well put together or something like that. I hadn't checked that out. You mentioned that uh, I was using it the whole time, but. It was also a pain in the ass that it signed you out like every 12 hours or something, which is a pain in the ass. But um, if you haven't gone to RSA before, I would totally hit up your employer to see if they'll send you next year. Uh, it was a lot of fun. But Yeah, um, like at least go at least once. It, yeah, if you've never been to San Francisco either, like totally just do it once for sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. The other thing too is I'd like to try to attend Black Hat. Yeah. Compared to I can't go to too many things. Yeah, Black Hat's a bit expensive. And also, was Cansec West? I don't know if that happened this year. I haven't heard anything. Have you? About Cansec West? Um, I think it did, but I'm not sure. I'll have to look that up. I know it's on the um, the CISO monthly call hmm. that I participated in. I know, I know it's on the list somewhere. I don't know if it's already happened and been crossed off or it's coming up. I don't remember. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Anyone going to DEF CON this year? Uh, not this year, probably, but maybe next mm-hmm. year we'll see how things go. Are you guys go, uh, planning on going or? I have family visiting. My brother's coming into town that uh, week, so yes. I'm not yeah. going to ditch him to go to, go to, go yeah, to DEF CON. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, We'll see. I'll do DEF CON again next year, I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Maybe yeah. every year a bit too much, but every second year for sure. Yeah, see, that's the thing, right? All right, well, let's get into some more news content. Um, as we're a Canadian-based podcast, we should probably talk about the new data breach regulations that the federal government's putting into place. Yeah, uh, The exactly. breach of security safeguards regulations. It requires organizations to submit a report to the Privacy Commissioner of Canada if they detect a breach. Yeah, that makes and sense, alert actually. affected individuals and organizations. Uh, I think it comes into effect November, November and 18th. is basically yeah, no, uh, yeah, and it. I guess it falls under the existing PIPIDA. It, it does. Yeah, I think going to be yeah, yeah, the uh, protection and uh, personal information protection and electronic documents act. Yep. Um, the uh, the PIPIDA basically the, this the, these uh, mandatory breach notification uh, regulations are uh, based on actually on the European uh, or the European Union's uh, GDPR general data protection rules, which are basically a huge set of regulations on the protection of data of, of private of private uh, individuals private data online, and. Um, yeah, the GDPR is uh, set to go into effect on May 25th in, in uh, EU. And, and even Facebook, uh, at least what Mark Zuckerberg said, is that they're going to actually uh, uh, design their um, uh, privacy uh, policies and uh, privacy protections around the GDPR. Uh, it, basically, the GDPR is, uh, 
it's it's, it's going to push it's, everything. Oh, it's going to push everything because uh, even even the, our our, um, our breach notification regulations are, uh, like I said before, are going to be based on uh, the GDPR, which is one quite day extensive. Yeah, it's the and same day you notice the incident. So yeah. you, once you you have to really streamline your processes. You notice there's an in, like the event turns into an incident. You have to determine as soon as possible. Mm-hmm. Has there been a leak of private information and then you have to make the decision real quick run that up to, to the executive and communications and send something to the privacy commissioner yeah. within that day yeah that's gonna be hard for people and that's the same as gdpr and that's yeah. what people are complaining about it was all over rsa yeah and that's that's it, it's uh you know especially for big companies you know big companies are slow they have they have their own processes they have they have their own um i don't think even government like if there's a breach uh uh, would probably be a same day thing, maybe in maybe in a day or two, but same day or is uh, is actually so all quite... the processes is not just IT, all the other processes yeah, the are where plan. a lot of the slowdown will occur. So you exactly, just can't make yeah. your incident response process and your plan and say, well, we'll meet this determination right away because it's like yeah. what we have to escalate to the you know CIO or the CISO. They're gonna have to talk to legal. Gonna have to talk mm-hmm. to communications like. So all yeah, those people this. need to have a plan in place of how that's going to work and how yeah. it's going to go and what the draft of that document is going to look like. And then all those people are going to have to be on call, man. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, it's, it's, that's going to be near that, – that's going to be a huge undertaking to try to accomplish that within a day. And the yeah, other thing like if something happens and I need to get the guy from legal and the guy from communications on the phone, like yeah. it doesn't matter if it's 8 p.m. on a Saturday now. Like you're, you, you need to answer your phone. We have limited time. Yeah. Exactly, and the other thing too is is it's not, it's not going to be easy. And the the other thing too is, uh, uh, but again, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch this up a bit. Uh, again, it's about that. Um, uh, uh, this does say okay, we can't admire the problem anymore. Uh, one of the things about in, when I took an incident management course uh, a few months back, uh, 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 or an incident handling course, was do not admire the problem. Right, so. It'll force them to take action, even though it may not be the best action at this time, at least in their minds, but it's at least something. So um, instead of them trying to admire the problem, um, they, they'll, it forces, I think that's the intention behind it, is to force action quickly to deal with this. Uh, well, to not with wait this. 10 months for them something to be reported, right? Absolutely. But is this applying to Canadian companies or any company that has Canadian data that's affected, like a Canadian citizen's data that's affected? Anybody who yeah falls under Pipita, which is yeah anybody, yeah. So similar to GDPR, right? There's a lot of companies mm-hmm. who made like Facebook is a U.S. company, but they have data on you know people in the EU. So unless they mm-hmm. kick out all the EU people, they have to conform, and they might as well just do it across the board because it just makes more Basically sense, right? They're going to end up reporting to every government. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be a lot of work. Yeah. Yeah. Then maybe they take it more seriously. I don't know. I think they will. I think that this this the intention is is for them to say, no. This is serious. This is not something that you can just uh, you know sweep under the rug. This is something that you you better handle and handle right freaking now. Um, yeah, yeah, and yeah. And, but the difference between this and GDPR, if you even the link that I sent out, if you read that, is that the violation fine in Canada is a hundred thousand bucks. So if I'm yeah, a bank, not, if I'm a bank, I'm, if I'm an executive at a bank. And I'm looking at it. I'm like, well, people might not find out, and 
we'll be okay. Yeah. Or people do find out and the government's mad. It's a hundred K. Yeah. I'm just going to eat that hundred K. Fuck that. Like exactly. I just won't tell anybody. Well, it's Whereas, business, right? GDPR, it's 20 million euros or 4% of your global annual profits, whichever is greater, yeah. not lesser, greater, you're greater. Exactly. And so the a- least you're paying is 20 million euros. And if you're, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, if you're friggin' Mercedes or something, and you're paying 4%. That's well more than 20 million euros. Oh, you're absolutely. not happy. You're like you're doing this right cuz you don't want to pay that 100,000 bucks in Canada, who cares? Yeah. And 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 that's probably what's going to happen. It's going to be it's going to be it's basically this law, this uh this these uh mandatory data data what was it uh, in um data breach uh notification may not have any teeth. Like 100,000 is like, well, okay, I guess the, this 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 law doesn't have really any teeth. Like who holds all the data? Like big companies, big company companies with huge profit margins. Yeah, would a hundred thousand right. dollars made Equifax tell everybody right away? Well, no, no. They, they probably, with four percent, four percent will. Oh yeah, yeah, four percent definitely would make uh, Equifax think twice. Yeah, it's yeah. not good enough. I I also don't know the definition of information that threatens individuals with quote real risk of significant harm quote. I don't know if that's defined better. It must be. I think there was sort of a conversation on Slack about what that actually meant, hmm. but I'm, I don't know. It I seems read, like I haven't read into it enough. It's just basically anything, right? Anything like if your SIN number's in there, if you know all that sort of stuff is in there, yeah, even your email address is in there. Email address isn't not real so much risk in Canada, of significant ha- real real risk of significant harm is probably not your email address, no, but it's definitely but, uh, any uh, of the financial stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. Health records, or your SIN number, health real records, risk of significant harm. One. Oh yeah. 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 So I'll be just writing a briefing note now to let like uh, everyone know that this is coming and we need mm-hmm. to update some of the IR processes we already just created and or also I should say updated, not created. Yeah, I just got to find out how um, how uh, the GDPR will affect us and the provincial government because uh, they are actually looking at it and, and they are actually, um, I've been hearing privacy people are, are actually saying, you know, we're dealing with, we have to deal with it. So if you're from the EU and you go to a hospital in BC and yep. your health record is in there. Now they're bound to GDPR because that record's there, and they That's don't right. know it's there. Yeah, exactly. Crazy. Yeah, it is. But it's not bad things anyway. GDPR goes a lot further than just reporting. There's a lot of no. other stuff in there as oh, well. There this is. is just reporting, but yeah, exactly. I mean, more. GDPR is like what? It's a massive document. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, but this is a good step anyway. Like we've been saying that we needed more stuff like this, so I'm glad to see it, and we'll just see where it goes from here. Mm-hmm. Um, Next topic then, uh, Drupal. Drupal's not, uh, Drupal's not, Droopy Drupal's not doing very well lately. Uh, it's, it's, three, it's drooping big time. <laughs> yeah, three release flaws in 30 days. Uh, earlier on in the year it was WordPress, and now I guess it's Drupal's turn to look shitty. So yep. a series of vulnerabilities were discovered, and they're actively being exploited. And one of the things I noted was, oh, coin miners, of course. Uh, oh, of course, that was yeah. a, that was a really good uh, one for us to think when we did that, you know, what to expect for a 2018 episode. And that's coming true again and again and mm-hmm. again. Like people find an exploit. And there was a lot of discussion about that at RSA. Someone was saying that a uh, server with health information was owned and they didn't even look for data. They just installed a coin miner. Yeah, that's, yeah they just wanted the processing power to mine, to mine Bitcoin or mine yeah. Ethereum. That's that's essentially what the what's happening now. Yeah, like, it's not Bitcoin. It's, it's uh, or Monero because it's Monero. anonymous, right? Yeah. Or Monero, it could be anything. It's even Zcash or whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, the thing is, is that um, 
with uh, with crypto mining, it's uh, that's the that's the big thing right now. I mean, it's uh, instead of like breaching data and then trying to sell it in on, in the underground market with a basically increasing chance of getting caught, why don't you just put something, uh, put a crypto miner on the server? They're probably not going to notice until uh, probably months months from now. Yeah. And but you you basically walked away with like millions of dollars in, in it's cryptocurrency. Easy money. It's easy money. It's yeah. easy money, and you can do it on like how many can you exploit? Right. So I mean, you can talk about millions of devices. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, and then if you can, or or you get one huge web server, or maybe multiple web servers. I mean, basically, uh, the world's your oyster. Yeah, yeah. I think. Drupal and WordPress are some of those things that are all, mm-hmm. seem to always be vulnerable, and I would really just recommend that you only use it for providing information, like we do. Our blog yeah. runs on WordPress, and it's just like it just where people can get the show notes, right? It's just providing info. If you're doing a shopping cart, if you're taking payments, if you're having people sign up oh, and sign in to view content, or... yeah. If you're doing anything like where you're having people's info and signing in or payments, shopping okay, cart, so like you just choose another. Yeah, just choose another more secure platform. Yeah. Or use a, you know, use a third party to handle that kind of stuff as well. I mean, the problem is people don't, you know, a lot of these vulnerabilities, I think, are coming in installations where people don't do anything to them. Or they don't really know what they're doing. They're not updating all their plugins or, or they don't files care. all the time, right? So you or they, or the they completely forget there. about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. I know people who installed exactly. WordPress and started a blog and a month later walked away from it. And it's running yeah. some ancient version. That's right. And so it's just sitting there on a not updated at all and it gets exploited and no one even knows. Yeah. Somebody's making money off that, off that uh, website. Yeah, they were installing a bunch of coin miners. Um, some Ukrainian energy ministry got owned. <laughs> it's probably North sure that Korea doing all that. Yeah, I can see North Korea doing all that. They're uh, hard, hard, hard up for cash. So, I mean, uh, you're, you're hearing a lot about North Korea these days. So, uh, yeah, I haven't really looked at the TTPs and like who um, people doing threat intel think these actors are. They could just be Joe Blow, who knows, right? I don't know if they've even caught anybody doing it. Next, then, this one is a weird one with the email hijacking attacks. So a new uh, yes. a new type of email threat was reported late last year. I think it's come around a lot. We've seen it on Slack mm. lately. So I know there's a bunch of people in the InfoSec community, Victoria, Vancouver, sort of talking about it. And we saw it a couple times in the organization I work at lately. So it's basically an attacker fishes one target and then goes through their email and then finds an ongoing conversation and sends replies sort of trying to be that person. Like it's actually coming from their computer. Mm-hmm. So they compromise uh, the email account. Yeah. Basically, right? So then they send a reply with some sort of malware in there. Yeah, and it's brutal for us because uh, I'm particularly worrisome. Like we generally tell our users, like, look for unexpected, you know, unsolicited attachments. Look for attachments that are from people you don't know. Mm-hmm. Look at the subject line and the email address. But in this case, all those things are from a legit conversation. And they don't know that the initial target's been pwned. They don't know they've been pwned. So at one case, we had a doc sent by someone in our org to a client that we normally do. Like, okay, fill out this form. And a response came back with, you know, okay, here it is. The report's attached. And the other thing huh. too, I mean, it's it's exactly <laughs> that's pretty clever. It is. It I is know pretty it's clever. insane. Like a, and then the document was named like the organization. Like they took the name of the form that was sent to them and pre prepended. Yeah, is prepended. That it? Yeah, exactly. It's pre-pended yeah, or prepended. Yeah, prepended with like the org. They're 
you know what I mean? And like the email looked legit. It was in the middle of the stream. It even came from the IP address of the person's computer. Like there's nothing you could tell. Like, and they're not going to go to properties and check the IP address, but there's nothing in it that, that jumped out to the user. And they were, you know, they eventually, so they executed the Word document. AV caught the macro trying to do the Trojan downloader from the internet. Um, and then it was blocked at the firewall as well, but it's still the user was like, well, I clicked it and that's bad. How would I have known? What tips can you give me to know this in the future? I'm like, oh, <laughs> I would have clicked on tough. that. Yeah. The only thing that jumped out at me is the formatting was a little weird. They had their, um, I guess for legitimacy and authenticity or whatever, they put the person's SIG block in. Midstream in an email and a reply, uh, which is odd. Because yeah. normally you don't normally replies don't have the sig block, right? So the other ones didn't, just this one did. But that I only noted that after the fact. Like I would open that. If I send a Word document to someone saying fill this out, and I get something back and it's named like the name I sent it, prepended with like, you know, their initials of their business. I gotta open the damn thing. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting to get it. Yeah. So yeah. Particularly crazy. crazy, which which makes this which makes this form of uh, phishing attack very insidious because it's how do you how do you protect against it, right? Especially if they if they do it like well while while you're in especially mid conversation and the conversations happening like within say a day or two of each other, or even hours within each other, it's like uh, how how would you know? And then all of a sudden you know it's like a, it's a sneaky way of getting malware in, into yeah. into they're a not network. going to know yeah. you're relying on endpoint protection right at yeah. that point. Yeah. And that's Wonder. and that's that's kind of that's kind of not you turn off macros. Yeah, you could turn off macros. Yeah, you could disable macros, but uh, that in many organizations that's easier said than done. Yeah, because accounting it, loves them. Oh yeah, absolutely. And the other thing too is the uh, the uh, the endpoint protection maybe might catch maybe what if you know they're using old Trojans, right? I mean, yeah, these, something these, that's new. Or that's something, yeah. And the uh, yeah, but exactly. it what actually did spawn uh, PowerShell and went to grab something, and that's what got caught. So if you were using like a good endpoint uh, detection and response product, it would have caught the WinWord process spawning mm. PowerShell, which is like we're testing some of those solutions right now, just because this is like a common behavior. And I think one thing everyone needs to do is move away from traditional AV and get like better, you know, you threat know. intel, cloudified, you know, endpoint detection and response. So that's a bit. Yeah, faster. it's more more of a heuristic uh, a scan as opposed to just relying on signature based antivirus or, or AV. And the 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 thing is, is um, uh, with PowerShell, there's a feature in PowerShell where you could say uh, disable uh, uh, what was it uh, dis- disable the uh, loading of scripts. There's a feature. Yeah. There's a security feature. Make sure that's uh, that's turned on. That, uh, that make you- sure your PowerShell logging is turned on, and Absolutely. you need to update PowerShell to get the advanced logging. So yeah. update PowerShell and then <laughs> update PowerShell, <laughs> then disable it for most of your users who don't yeah, need it, yeah, and exactly, then yeah. <laughs> install the so yeah, turn on the login. Enabled by default, it, yeah. it should be least privileged right from the beginning, and then you open yeah. it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, most yeah. users we're not don't seeing need that. PowerShell. That's not really that's not really what's happening in the real yeah. world, unfortunately. That's why PowerShell is still effective, effective tool for uh, for hackers to break into your network. Yeah, power exploit and all those other things, all the privilege escalation, mm-hmm. all the stuff shell, you can yeah. do. Um, you can run a lot of it um, in memory. Um, yeah, it's pretty crazy. There's a lot of PowerShell stuff that I've played with in uh, the Enterprise Incident Response course that I looked at. So like looking at the remnants of a machine that had all those things run on it. Pretty pretty insane. Um, oh, yeah. And the other thing is with, the, with PowerShell, 
like you could transfer files. You know, I mean, uh, with, uh, that's that's actually you could transfer files. You can basically do anything with PowerShell. You know, so if it's enabled on a workstation, basically that's it. Your 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 computer your your workstation is about to, is bound to get pwned. Just bound to get pwned. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, we use it for sysadmin stuff yeah, all the time. So I don't think we would disable it, but we'd we'd have all the logging turned on. Yeah. Which then means now I need all the logs sent to Splunk for every machine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's awesome. <laughs> Web stressor. I don't know if you guys heard about this uh, one. Yes. What happened in Europe? Uh, Europol. Uh, I think it was Dutch, the Dutch police. Uh, they yep. basically uh, took down a a, a DDoS for hire. Uh, company that was uh, basically used by uh, organized crime or uh, pissed off people or whatever. Pissed off twelve a... year old gamers for the most part. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the thing is, is that uh, uh, eventually they're just like, okay, we can't stand this anymore. They're going. Uh, the Europol has basically uh, 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 decided to uh, shut this network down, arrest all this, uh, the the owners of this uh, DDoS Some fire in Canada. company. And, they're arresting Canada. Oh yeah. And uh, it Croatia was so, too. Yeah, Croatia too. Like oh, they were, these guys surprised. were. Oh yeah, I'm not surprised <laughs> by that at all. Actually, <laughs> I don't trust yeah, any of those people. <laughs> <laughs> well, like the one you're talking to right now. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh damn, Italy's in there too. Yep. Yeah, I've only met two of them. Uh, you and your dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's there was a lot of working together that needed to happen for this to, to get pulled off. But mm-hmm. I think if you are doing a sort of, you know, an illegal activity for anonymous cryptocurrency and you're paying for the Google ad mm. for stressor, uh, yeah. then you're going to get caught. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Keep it on the dark web. If you're buying Google ads for your service, you're going to get pwned. I mean, I think, I think, uh, yeah, it was, it was bound, they were bound to get caught, especially because they didn't hide their tracks or anything. They were just like, yeah, basically, hey, look at us, you know, we can t- shut down any website. Uh, for 10 pounds. For 10 pounds, that's exactly. It. That's it. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. Just, it's like, <laughs> just yeah. to show you of like the vulnerabilities in all these new devices that keep coming online, how something like this can even be created. Like every little IoT device, you know, they're just taking over everything. Hard-coded credentials, all these little insecure little devices, and you create something like this. Yeah. It's a sad state. It is. And, and I mean, and, and they, how long have they been operating? Probably for years now? And then There's 140,000 registered users, so now I'm worried. Oh, <laughs> well, I'm, not worried for, I'm not worried personally, but I'm more wondering how safe that user data is now, right? Like some of them are anonymous, but a lot of them probably can be tracked down. There's a lot of heavy users of that service, right? So you got to bet they're not going to go after everybody, but then, you know, the top 10%, they might try to figure out, hey, let's, you know, or, or try, uh, to, try to unmask some of these individuals and go after some of the people who are using yeah. it as well. They have it all at their fingertips. And it also depends on, on why they were using it. Like if they were heavy users of the service, then they, uh, uh, they chances are they're, they're using it to commit other crimes. Like, uh, for example, extortion or... or um, uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that's so, a good, yeah. That's a good reason for them to investigate if they're a heavy user. Maybe they're going to a company saying, "Hey, pay me money, or I'll take you offline." Yeah. Or you're not going to mm-hmm. pay. Boom. Or okay, or well, now be- just doubled. Yeah. Or uh, it's uh, uh, basically uh, to commit another crime. Basically, DDoS one site to uh, take it down so that uh, that they would have to use their backup older site that you can uh, that you can breach potentially and um, and basically steal user data that way. You know, they, they, that's uh, that's also a possibility. Yeah, for sure. Um, 
Are there legit uses for a stressor tester tool? I would say yeah, the only the only thing is uh, load testing of a mm-hmm. of a website, but uh, in this case, um, I think this is a bit much uh, for something like that. Like you could load load test a website on your own. Um, hiring a service like this probably uh, would have to come with some strict caveats, like uh, legal caveats, or uh, or um, or if you if it's like okay, you could take down this site, but you could take out down all a bunch of other sites that are hosted on this on one server, or um, so it's it, it's it's tough, right? I mean, if you if if you're a company that does this, it's like one, you got to be careful who you deal with, um, and two, you gotta you gotta make sure that uh, everything is above board, uh, like the doc. It's like penetration testing, you know. You gotta you gotta have that letter. You gotta you're basically bound to what the client wants you to wants you to test. And uh, you gotta be, you gotta make sure that uh, that you basically are keep it legal. You know, I mean, you, if the client says stress test it up to a certain point, then you only you don't go beyond that certain point, right? Otherwise, you could potentially be breaking the law. So it's uh, that's probably the only legitimate use I can see. Yeah, it's kind of difficult to say it's legitimate when you yeah, know if you're stress testing in a web application, you actually want some code on your end that actually you know goes through the app and clicks things and creates an account yeah. and yeah. does stuff, not just like hammers the shit out of it. It's not really yeah, it testing. Yeah, you're trying much. to simulate <laughs> legit load and legit user actions, not like smack smack it a billion times a second. Well, I, I just there for is, a response. Well, there is there is uh, there is again there is that there's there's some. Um, room for this as well, because what if there is a DDoS attack? Like, uh, if it's a, again, it's like penetration testing. If you're if you're dealing with a DDoS attack, uh, if you if you're testing your site before you get actually DDoSed by some unknown entity uh, using Mirai, for example, then you know how to respond to it. It says, okay, this is what's happened. Uh, we've already didn't we've already done our test, and then we we uh, so we know what to, how to handle uh, certain DDoS attacks uh, that might be hitting us in the future. So that you just get Cloudflare for that, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah you already do that. You yeah. do it, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. We pay you good money for you to do this. Yeah. Uh, one of the th- reasons why I think this happened in the Netherlands was that they're well ahead. Of this sort of stuff. The people from the Dutch police that were involved in this were talking about it on a Reddit thread and an Ask Me Anything thread that they created. And one of the people asked that question, like, how do you know this isn't legit? How do people stay legit? What's the difference? And the guy could quote a section of law where they'd already figured this question and then it's answer out. So basically, if you are accepting anonymous payments, if you're not checking IPs and URLs on a blacklist, if you're not checking that the person requesting owns those IPs and URLs, if you're advising customers how to avoid law enforcement, et cetera, et cetera, then you're not legit. You're yeah. not considered legit, and they'll they'll prosecute. Yeah, and, and well, that makes sense, especially avoiding law enforcement. It's like, why would you need to avoid law enforcement? Hmm, you know, that's a big giveaway. <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty easy. So, like, don't yeah. take crypto. Don't, you know, check the IPs and URLs, make sure they own it, do something, right? Like, And that can be done. You know, like, mm-hmm. there's quick ways to get SSL certs that have sort of low barrier that, like, actually own this domain. So mm-hmm. it's not impossible to do quickly, even automatic you know, that the person doesn't need to be involved. No. I mean, it's... And then, yeah, don't people tell people how to avoid <laughs> law enforcement <laughs> if they're using the, your legit service? Yeah. I mean, I mean that's, that's like I said, it's a big giveaway. 
It's like, uh, oh, I need, I need, uh, I don't want the, uh, the police to know what I'm doing. And I'm like, why don't you want the police to know what you're doing? Yeah. yeah. That should raise suspicions big time. Yeah, I'm betting they had access to their forums and a bunch of other stuff and could see that they were, you know, saying things and doing things similar to what happened to Mega Upload, right? It's like, mm. well, we just had a service. It's like, well, no, because you're telling people how to change things and hide things mm. that got DMCA'd and how to post them again all that sort of stuff. But this is only one web stressor that's found online. There's a bunch of other people that do the same service, so I'm pretty sure that they're going to do have more efforts to take down some of these other ones. But I think I've seen this before on the internet as things hit the internet and then, you know, they're illegal and then they get pushed back to the dark web mm-hmm. where they can operate yeah. with impunity. Yeah. And well, I actually, I, I sort of uh, disagree with that now because uh, the uh, law enforcement's getting heavily involved with the dark web. So, you know, they may, they may be able to operate with impunity for say, uh, for say a period of time, but eventually they're going to get caught. Yeah, it just depends if they piss off 4chan, right? If you're doing child porn and you piss off 4chan, then they'll come after you and break you because the FBI can't. Yeah. Or don't so have the always resources gonna, to. Oh, yeah. Or there's a somebody, somebody's, you know, it's, 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 it's eventually going to get out. Like something's going to happen. You know, somebody's going to get pissed off or, or somebody, you know, somebody makes a mistake or, or whatever. Like look what happened to Harry, what was it? Um, Hector Monsignor uh, Sabu from uh, Lulsec. He made a mistake. Like he uh, basically had his, uh, he used his real IP as opposed to a fake one, and they were like, okay, that's, boom, he, that's how they caught him. And they actually turned him, and then... Uh, a lot of times they know who these people are, and they're all over them, they're all over the logs, mm-hmm. and there's been a lot of people who just, you know, connect to IRC without a VPN once. Yeah. Done. Yep, yeah, exactly. That's all that's needed. Yeah. Know your OPSEC. Mm-hmm. Um, or just don't do bad things. That's probably <laughs> easier. Probably easier, yeah. Have good OPSEC and don't do bad things. Mm-hmm. Um... Alexa spying. This is a neat one. Um, it's not something that it surprised me at all. So Alexa no. can be modified like, in some code to spy on you and record all the things you say and send it to somebody other than Amazon. It's like, well, if you have one of those in your house, you're pretty... You know, you're, it, it's spying on you, guarantee it. Or that Google Home, you know, I mean, or the Google Garden Home, whatever. Yeah, I don't want any of those, any of those yeah. anywhere near me. John and me I were either. drinking at a friend's house, a mutual friend's house who had one, and I was like, Alexa... Order extra small condoms. <laughs> All this stuff all night. You know what I find crazy about this one too is they said they never did, they never hacked anything. They just kind of used the skills and features that Alexa had already. Yeah, they programmed. It's like a, they, uh, yeah, they, they programmed a, a uh, like a skill is like a, like a module uh, for uh, for Alexa, like for the uh, Amazon Echo that. Uh, Basically, they just code it in. It's a malicious module, and they just install it like any other malware, and then uh, it does the spying for you, and they just have to listen in. Done. That's insane. Yeah. Your phone's probably doing it all the time, but at least that's just like, you know, the NSA. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just basically figure anything you say, do, do online, whatever, is just it's being captured somewhere. Yep. Oh, yeah. It's NSA, pretty scary. That's CSE. what the dark web is for, but yeah. it's so slow. It is. It's very slow. Like try to try to surf through Tor. Like if you need to do anything heavy through the dark web, yeah, it's gonna take a bit of time. It's gonna if it's really fast and you know you're definitely at like a university or the FBI or CSIS <laughs> yeah. or something. Yeah, then you know you're like, okay, I think I need to stop this right now. Yeah, I need to change my exit node because this is too easy right now. Mm-hmm. Or I've done that too, where I'm on Tor. I'm like, am I on Tor? Yeah, this is my Tor browser. Wow, because that loaded really quickly. Yeah, I'm like that doesn't make sense. Hmm. I know people who bank with it. I know people who surf with it all the time. 
like um, last place I worked at, we had somebody who was doing it. And security found out that they had it installed and made him take it off. And they're mm. sort of questioning it. And he's like, well, I don't want anyone seeing what I'm doing. It's like, well, <laughs> you're, yeah, on corporate, you're on a corporate network. We yeah, kind of want exactly. to see what you're doing. Yeah, yeah that's, that's, a little, that's a little suspicious. That's like the same thing as saying, I don't want to. He wasn't doing anything doing. wrong. I yeah. know the guy. He's just privacy and security conscious, yeah. right? That well, makes sense. Yeah. But still, I mean, the way, the way he, I guess, approached it or the way he reacted was, okay, that's, uh, that looks a little suspicious. Even yeah. though what probably wasn't, so in 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 a sense, you know, it's, it's you still have to be careful with it because, uh, you know, it's like okay, is this suspicious or is this or is this not? You know, it might not look suspicious to you or to anyone close to you, but somebody might find it very suspicious, and then all of a sudden you could be in a heap of trouble for for pretty much something that you thought was legit. Yeah. Anybody got anything else from the last couple weeks? Oh, not me. <laughs> not you, Jono. No, sir. Yeah. All right. I guess that's it then. Have a good night, everybody. Thanks for night. listening. Night, yeah. night. Good night, everyone. That was the Two Drop Tables podcast for this week. If you've got comments or feedback, you can visit our website at twodroptables.ca. That's the number two, droptables.ca. There you can read the show notes and leave a comment on this episode. Or you can email feedback at twodroptables.ca. You can subscribe to us via iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or anywhere else you find fine podcasts. Just go to our website for convenient links or search your podcasting app for Two Drop Tables.